Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien. Hello and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I am your co-host, John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association, coming to you from the Quando Studio right here in central Pennsylvania. Joined as always, my good friend on the western part of the state, Chris Martin. Chris, how are we doing today, sir? Hey, John. How are you? I am. Awesome. I am on the left coast of Pennsylvania. That is correct. I'm out near Pittsburgh in uh, the lovely village of Sewickley. And uh, it's good to be here with everybody. And as John mentioned, my name is Chris Martin. I am the president and owner of Atlas Marketing. And we tell stories for companies that build things. Welcome. And yeah, let's, John, let, let's kick it off, man. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's do this. What better way to kick it off than to have a little Marauder pride to kick it right off the start here? We have two graduates of Millersville Marauders on this call here today. And me, I went one year, so I didn't go though. I didn't graduate. But after I introduce you guys, I, I got a little Millersville news after this. So so our, our guest today, I'm very excited about this. Good stuff here. This is going to be awesome. Here. Representative Jordan Harris of Philadelphia County, Marauder grad, Talking everything Philly today and clean slate and all the good stuff he has going on. Welcome, Rep. Harris. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. And and of course, we all know Chris is a Marauder grad. Yep. Um, Woo! Go fighting Marauders. Got to have that like like Notre Dame <laughs> fighting Marauders <laughs> thing with a patch and all that good stuff. So yeah. And and hey. just yesterday, my oldest senior in high school, she's like, Dad, I really want to look at Millersville. So we lined up a tour. In two weeks, we're going to Millersville. There you go. <laughs> keep it in the family right keep it in the family absolutely that is good that's yeah. great but yeah today's episode is going to be awesome i think you're really going to enjoy it for those that don't know rep harris great person great intentions does a lot of good stuff in harrisburg and a lot of good stuff for his community but for those that don't know perhaps you could give a little introduction on yourself and let people know who you are Sure. I'm Jordan Harris. I uh, have been a member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives since uh, I got elected in 2012. Uh, I started serving January 1st of 2013. I can't believe that it's literally, I'm literally coming up on 10 years of of being in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives and serving uh, my neighbors in the 186th district, which uh, represents parts of South and Southwest Philadelphia. That's the neighborhoods of Point Breeze, Grays Ferry, Graduate Hospital in King Sessing, Uh, an area, honestly, that I I grew up in uh, all of my life, with the exception of when I was in Millersville, uh, you know, during my college years, I've lived in in my district my whole life. And then since 2019, I've served my colleagues as the Democratic Whip. Uh, in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives on the leadership team. So I'm grateful uh, for the 10 years of service that I've been able to give to my community. And I consider it a blessing every day that I get up and I'm able to serve my folks. And it's a it's a sign you got some good stuff going on when your peers elect you into a leadership position. Yeah. So you're, you're well-respected in Harrisburg. So that's awesome. Well, you know, uh, I, I don't know if I was well-respected or if it was a setup, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, honestly, I get to serve with some really amazing people. And to for them to have trust uh, in me enough to elect me to leadership is really an awesome feeling. What's the difference? Obviously, you've been the, the House of Reps for, for 10 years. But what's the difference between being a leader and just regular uh, delegate? So, you know, as a rank and file member, you're responsible for your district, right? You 
represent around 62,000 people and your votes are you know, their voice. Once you get into leadership, not only do you still represent those 62, 63,000 folks and your voice represents their votes, but you're now also responsible for the entire caucus. Uh, and it depend, depending on what your role is in leadership, we all have different roles. There's seven uh, members of our leadership team. Um, as the whip, I'm responsible for the votes. So whenever there's a a major vote coming up on the floor. I need to know where everybody's going to be. I need to know where the caucus wants to be. What's our perspective? What's our agenda? And and I, I need to make the votes um, be what they need to be at the end of the day. So there's a there's a large a larger responsibility not just to your district but to all of your 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 colleagues and all of their constituents, right? And then because of the political dynamics of Harrisburg, we have a Republican House and Senate, and we have a Democratic governor. This governor has vetoed more bills uh, in his eight years than any other governor in modern time, uh, and a lot of that had to do with the COVID nineteen and. And our response to COVID-19 and what he believed and what our caucus believed at the time was the best course of action to keep people safe and to keep them alive. Regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum, there was a difference of opinions on the other side of the aisle. And they they ran bills to do different things that the governor vetoed. Now, the whip's job, which is important during that, is that when a bill is vetoed, you can try to override the governor's veto with two thirds vote of both the House and Senate. So we've had I, I, I've lost count of how many veto override votes we've had in the House. We literally, last time we were in session, had another one. Uh, and we've been able to sustain the governor's veto every time, which is, you know, a direct a direct result of our caucus's discipline, but also the work of, of my staff and, and others to work together to make sure that the votes lined up where we needed to, do, to be. So, you know, between um, our discipline and our caucus, uh, the leadership team as a whole working together collectively and the staff in the whip's office, we were able to sustain all of the governor's vetoes over the last eight years that he's been in office. Short answer is you're a unifier. You bring everybody together, get them, get them marching in the right direction, right? My, one of my former leaders, Frank Dermody, used to say, Jordan, we, we got to get their minds right. We got to get their minds right. So uh, my, my job is, is to get my members in, in the right frame of mind to do whatever is necessary uh, uh, to be in the best place as a caucus and to be in the best place, quite honestly, uh, to hold true to our ideals as a caucus and what we believe uh, is the right direction. Uh, for Pennsylvania. So it, it's a role that I take very seriously and it's a very um, important role. And quite honestly, you know, being in the minority, if you can't hold your votes together in the minority, then you have absolutely no voice. But because we've been able to hold our votes together, because we've been able to work together, even in the minority, uh, Democrats in the House uh, have been able to get a lot of things done. When I see you and when I hear you talk, the two topics that come right to my mind and I hope we can touch on these today, are, are Philadelphia and Clean Slate. Those cool. are, are two awesome topics. Philadelphia is booming. Construction-wise, it's booming. There's a lot of good stuff going on. And then Clean Slate, obviously, you and Cheryl Delosier and, and yourself have done amazing work in that in that arena. And we applaud you. We've actually helped that as well, too. We've talked to some of the construction training directors and got them involved with the prisons and trying to teach teach what's actually being taught out in the field. So we're trying to prepare people for work, just like you're preparing them to work with all the hurdles. But if, if you could just touch on some of your efforts with Clean Slate, that would be awesome just to hear directly from you, the man, the myth, the legend. This is awesome. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know about any of that. What I will say is that 
I, I kind of I try to focus uh, and function as an elected official off of a sense of, of justice and fairness. And, you know, it all stems. Uh, and I, I, I guess I blame her for it, but it's a good blame. Uh, my mother, when I was growing up, I would, you know, say, you know, how kids like, I want to go outside. I want to do this. I want to do that. And, you know, my mom used to say things. Well, well, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, why can't I do it? She's like, you just can't. And I would say, well, that's not fair. And I remember as a kid, my mom always saying to me, well, life isn't fair. And that always stuck with me. And I used to always think to myself, why isn't life fair for everybody? Um, why is it that certain people have a better shot at prosperity and at progress than others do? And the concept of life not being fair just never set well with me as a child. So as I became an adult and got involved in, in electoral politics, you know, one of my focus or, or, or one of the things that I focused on, I should say, is is the sense of justice and fairness. And and I look at I look through that lens in a lot of the work that I do. So whether it's education, I'm looking at education justice or justice in education, or we're looking at the environment, environmental justice. Uh, if we're looking at the criminal justice system, it's criminal justice, right? So when I looked at the criminal justice system in Pennsylvania, what I noticed was that I had a lot of homies from Philly who, you know, did something wrong 10, 15, 20 years ago, and they changed their life, but they still couldn't get a good job. They still couldn't get back into the economy because of their criminal record, right? And, and here's the thing. If you don't have a record or if you're not close to somebody with a record, this is not something that you may ever think about. You know, you may look at a person not working and say, hey, why don't, why don't they stop being lazy and, and get up and go get a job and do something with their lives? What you may not know is that every single day that person could be out looking for a job. Every day that person could be online applying for a job. But once they get past the initial screening and they get their background check ran, that person who was qualified, that person who was determined is often denied. And for me, that just didn't make sense. If the criminal justice system was supposed to be about rehabilitating people, and if we're going to let people out of prison and put them back into our communities, we got to give them the tools to be successful. So for me, I said, you know, what can we do? And I, re I remember like it was yesterday, first floor to East Wing uh, in freshman row. When I was a freshman, I sat down with a guy named Greg Rowe, who at the time and still is, he was the, the, the legislative guy for the District Attorneys Association. District Attorneys Association is the association of all of the DAs. At that time, it represented all of the DAs in Pennsylvania. And they weighed in on legislation. I had Greg Rose sit on my couch. It was a very, very comfortable blue couch. Took many a nap. If I had time, I'd talk about a story where I took a nap on that couch and the governor walked in on me. But that, 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 it's a funny story. But anyway. That's so, for another time, right? That's over here. So, so Greg is sitting on the couch and I'm telling him all of these ideas about what I want to do with criminal justice reform and, and, and basically criminal record expungement. And he told me that, you know, we might be able to get that done, Jordan, but just now isn't the time. I, I'm not one that you can deny. You might be able to defer me for a moment, but I, I'm not one that you can deny. So, you know, we kept pushing on, pushing and plugging away at it. And my first success was, was with uh, the now, you know, deceased uh, Senator Stuart Greenleaf, who was a Republican out of Montgomery County or, or is that the Monco Adelco? But Greenleaf was the chair of the Judiciary Committee. Interestingly enough, in the 90s, he was a law and order Republican. All of the mandatory minimums you could think about, Greenleaf voted for. And then in the 2000s, he saw the light and saw that those votes were the wrong votes. And he really wanted to use his position as the majority chairman of the of the uh, Judiciary Committee to right some of those wrongs. Our first bill, Senate Bill 166, was a bill that he wrote. And I had some of my 
language amended into that bill. And that created in Pennsylvania what we called an order of limited access, which basically gave judges a way where they could seal a person's record to the public, but keep it for law enforcement. So what did that mean? It means that a person, certain offenses, you could go and get your record sealed by a judge and a judge could seal it so that when you apply for a job, it wouldn't show up. Now, if you did something wrong and uh, got arrested, the cops could see it, district attorney could see it, but the public couldn't see it. That was called an order of limited access. We started that, right? What we saw was that although we had this new law in place, this was in 2016, although this new law was in place, people weren't using it. So we said, well, why don't we do this automatically? There's a woman in Philadelphia. Her name is Sharon Dietrich. She works at Community Legal Services, which is one of our uh, community uh, or legal aid, what's what they call the Pennsylvania Legal Aid Network, but it's the Philadelphia uh, branch of it. She wrote a white paper. It's funny how, how relationships matter. She wrote a white paper about automatic record sealing and how we can automate the process of sealing a person's record, right? She sent that to one of her former students who now at that time was working for the Center for American Progress down in D.C. They thought it was a great idea. And they started to put some funding behind it. Fast forward, a guy by the name of Dennis Jordan, who's a lobbyist out of Harrisburg. He was working for, uh, he works for a firm called Meladian Wooten, but his client was the Justice Action Network. They came to me and said, hey, we know you like this criminal justice stuff. We have an idea of how to take what you did in Senate Bill 166 and take it to the next level. But in order for you to do that, we need you to work with this Republican by the name of Cheryl DeLosier. Now, I'm from Philly, a uh, black guy with a beard. Uh, uh, Cheryl is a, a middle-aged white woman from Cumberland County. We had never worked on anything together. Uh, we served in the chamber. We were cordial, but really had never worked together. So they pulled these two people uh, from different parts of the state, from different parts of the political spectrum together and said, hey, can y'all work on this idea called clean slate? And the idea was that if a person had a misdemeanor two of a three that was of a nonviolent nature, after 10 years, their record should be automatically sealed, right? If they had a misdemeanor one, they could still go to court and get this order of limited access. But if they had an M2, M3, it should be automatically sealed. Long story short, we started that. We got it done in 2018, got it to the governor's desk. It, it took effect in 2019. And since 2019, we've sealed more than 50 million records in Pennsylvania. It's affected more than 1.2 million folks. Uh, Cheryl and I went from not knowing each other uh, to, to, to partners in, in, in reform. Uh, and, and she's a person that I actually um, consider a friend. And, and, and since Clean Slate, we've gotten other criminal justice reform bills done that we worked on together. And now uh, we're working on um, what we call a Clean Slate 3. Uh, since we did Clean Slate, we updated it once and we're going to update it again. Clean Slate 3. Now we're trying to go after non-violent felonies. And here's the thing, guys. Uh, we have the District Attorneys Association in support. Uh, we have a lot of, of groups that you would consider to be Republican-leaning or conservative-leaning groups in support of the legislation. And we're teeing this thing up so that when we come back in session in January, we can get Clean Slate 3 done. And, and, and we estimate there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions more records that we'll be able to seal and really give people a second chance. Jordan, you know, we're, we're talking about the construction industry here. And how do you see, you know, Clean Slate 3, let's say, how does that affect the construction industry? And, and before I let you answer, you know, the, the industry as a whole has a, has a, has a challenge with workforce development. And just like everybody else, we can't find people, every other industry. So how do you see this new legislation? How can that help the industry and how can we find people to, to work on or, or work in 
construction. Well, here's the thing, you know, so, so, so what, what folks don't, you know, Chris, what folks don't understand is that a lot of people, when you look at job numbers, right, and you look at, you know, whether we created jobs or whatnot, they talk about people who have applied for jobs, but they also talk about people who are no longer even in the market. And for a while, I never even knew what that meant. And what that basically means is that there's, there's certain people who just feel like they, you know, they're, they're done, they're out of it. And they don't even apply, right? They don't even think about that, Chris. Think about, you know, being in a position in life, you know, where you're not even applying for jobs anymore because you're so defeated, right? You're so defeated that you believe that, that there's nothing that you could do to even get back in the game. So, so for us, one of the things that Queen Slate does is it gives people hope. It gives them, it gives them that view that um, they can get back in the game. And the other thing is, you know, for Clean Slate, um, it's a national model now. Pennsylvania did it first, but since we did it, there's seven other states in the union that have uh, passed, not just introduced, passed and signed into law versions of what we did here in Pennsylvania. And, and half of the states in the union have introduced it, maybe not passed it, but introduced it. And there's a federal bill, a federal bill. Uh, Congresswoman Lisa Blunt Rochester has in introduced federal Clean Slate that's made its way through the Judiciary Committee at the federal level in the United States House of Representatives. And last but not least, there, there is a national, check this out, since we did it in Pennsylvania, there's actually a national nonprofit organization called the Clean Slate Initiative, who is taking the work that we did in Pennsylvania and traveling all over the country to get other states in the union to do this. Well, why is that important to the construction field? We're changing the mindset of criminal justice reform in the country, right? So we're giving people hope to get back into the game, right? We're giving people hope. We're cleaning up their records so they can get TWIC cards, so they can get all of the other kind of certifications that may be necessary to get themselves into the carpenters, the electricians, the laborers, the steam fitters, you know, or, you know, the boiler makers, all of those different trade unions. We're giving them the tools that are necessary to get back in the game, take them from tax burden to taxpayer and giving industries like the construction industries the lifeblood that it needs. You and you and I both know that there's a massive retirement coming of our workers, right? We don't have workers to do these jobs. How are we going to build? Infrastructure dollars don't matter unless you have the people, the craftsmen to actually build the infrastructure. Clean Slate has given us those, 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 those folks back. They're qualified. They're hard workers. And if you talk to a lot of our business owners, because in Pennsylvania, we've had the support of the, the PA Chamber of Business and Industries. If you talk to a lot of our business owners, they'll tell you people with criminal records are some of the best employees that they have. Absolutely. Yeah. Clean Slate is uh, doing a lot of good stuff. Really awesome. You know, our, our hands are kind of tied, though. Contractors' hands are tied because of, you know, at the local level, using school districts, for example, some have lenient record checking and others others are very you know stringent or whatever and you know and it's it's very tough it's like well for a union we, we want to bring people on but we don't want to bring them on unless we can employ them so it'd be good to have and i guess it's careful what you wish for but it'd be good to have uniform decision making across the state but again careful what you wish for maybe it leans the wrong way and well no here's, here's what we found we found that we can do this and then not jeopardize public safety, right? Okay. We're not talking, and let me be clear, even in the, the new iteration of Clean Slate that we're trying to pass with felonies, we're not talking about you know murder, we're not talking about rape, we're not talking about anything that has to do with child with, with child molestation or anything that puts people in danger. But at, but answer this question to, if you know for me and both of you. 
you work in the field. If a guy sold drugs 15, 20 years ago, did his two-year time, his you know, one year, whatever. Some of these folks didn't even go to prison. They had probation. He sold drugs 15 years ago. Does that mean he can't be a boilermaker? Does that no, mean he, does that mean he can't be a steam fitter? No, that's what I'm talking about. We have school districts that take it and run with it, you know, and they're they're when they enforce their rules or whatever. It seems like it's at the local level. It's kind of pushed down and they can decide how they wanna how they want to check people, record checking. It's tough. Yeah. So, so that that's why this is important. It, it really yeah. it, it gives a uniform uniformity, right? And again, this is record sealing. So yeah. if there's ever something that happens, um, if there's a, a government agency, right, that needs to check because it is germane to what because because not only did we do clean slate, but we did something called professional licensing reform too. Because the you know in Pennsylvania, you need a professional license to do you know dang near anything. I mean, to be a breaker. <laughs> No, seriously, people don't notice to be a hair braider in PA, you gotta have to sell used cars in Pennsylvania, you gotta have a license. So so we go from doctors to nurses to hair braiders, you need a license. And we were stopping people. Check this out. We had people who were going to college, getting their degree, you know, passing certification, the board certification, and then not being given a license because of something they did 15, 20 years ago. And not that they did, but that was not germane to the work. So again. If you got caught, you know, uh, for embezzlement, maybe we won't want we maybe we don't want you working in the bank if you got caught for embezzlement. But listen, if you got caught selling drugs, do I care uh, about you, you know, braiding hair? Absolutely not. So we 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 changed some of our professional licensing. Uh, Cheryl and I worked on a bill to update. It's called occupational licensing reform. And we reformed the occupational licenses here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania a few years ago. Uh, so in addition to clean slate and sealing it, um, we also cleaned up the, the archaic and draconian laws that we had on on occupational licensing here in Pennsylvania to give people a real second chance. You know, J- Jordan, you mentioned you mentioned the carpenters, the steam fitters, the boilermakers. Yeah, you like how I roll those off. Make sure they know that Jordan Harris <laughs> shouted all y'all out. You know I'll what I'm telling you. Especially <laughs> carpenters and laborers. I'll tell those guys. There you go. Does any iteration of Clean Slate have a training component that would provide someone the opportunity while they're going through this process to to get some training so that they could be that farther ahead? You know, whether it's a welder, whether it's a you know, a steam fitter, whatever it is, a carpenter and doing those types of things. Is there anything in there that would benefit those folks? Yeah, so, I mean, Clean Slate deals with uh, Title 18, and Title 18 is really just a crimes code. So so the, the short answer is no, it doesn't. The long answer, though, is as a caucus, right, the Democratic caucus, uh, and, and, and I, I don't have to just limit it to Democrats because— I think this is one of the things that we agree on is around apprenticeships. I can tell you when I when I uh, sign off on supporting any uh, type of RCAP, there's two things or well, several things, but two main things that I'm concerned about uh, with RCAP is one, uh, is there going to be diversity the project, whether that's from a construction to vendors, the whole nine yards, will there be uh, diversity? And two, are we opening up slots for apprenticeships? Um, it's great to have people in the union. But if I get a guy or a woman out of prison and 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 they have, you know, basic level training and they go into a union, if they're sitting on the bench in the union hall because they can't get any hours on an apprenticeship, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. So for for me, one of the things that I think is important as a commonwealth, right, is that ensuring that whenever we're spending state dollars that we're requiring, right, not an option, but that we're requiring sites to have those spots so that apprentices can get their hours necessary. 
look, in Philadelphia, I'm dealing with a whole lot of crime and a whole lot of other things that I truly believe this industry, right, can help us with. I'm not saying it's the savior, but it is a tool in the toolbox. If I can take 14, 15, and 16-year-olds and show them a trade so that when they turn 18, they can go right onto a job site and make 25, 30 bucks an hour at the apprentice level, right, at the apprentice level, I can I can get those guys moving in the right direction so that after, you know, four years and they got their journeyman and they got all of these different certifications, you know, they're really in into a career, not just a job, a career. Um, we got to be really laser being focused on how we transition our young people into careers, high school, right, and college for that matter. It used to be about what you're going to do after the fact. Now we got folks who are going to high school and college and they still come out with no real pathway and no opportunities, a mountain of debt, no pathways no opportunities. It makes absolutely no sense. So for me, the, the, the trades, the trades is a really big part of how we get those things done. And and I'll tell you, you know, here on the Building PA podcast, we support the apprenticeship programs and um, have had a lot of apprenticeship coordinators uh, from a variety of different building trades unions on, as well as some, some even some non-union folks where we've talked about their apprenticeship programs and how that works. So yeah, we, we, we hear you loud and clear and we support you in that regard because we know that you, you had, you had it right on the head. You know, the retirement gap is, is, is coming. It's right, literally right around the corner. We're having a hard time with workforce development and getting folks into the industry, even just considering the industry as an option. So, you know, definitely you know, appreciate your, your efforts and, and thank you for uh, for doing everything that you're doing with Clean Slate and, and working toward ways that we can continue to get good qualified people into the into the industry. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for your work. I appreciate that. Thank you, Rep Harris. And let us know if we can help with, uh, with Clean Slate Part 3. Absolutely. We're ready. We're ready for it. Well, thank you again. And uh, thank you for listening to the Building PA podcast. Appreciate y'all. Thank you for joining the Building PA podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.